Take your Bible, if you would, turn over to 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7. We encourage you to follow along when we get to the scripture reading in a moment and keep your Bible open there. I encourage you to take out your notes as well. As we talk about what does submission look like in marriage, and as you're finding your way to that passage on your phone or your Bible, uh, just to kind of give you a heads up where we're headed here, this will be our last message in First Peter uh, for this calendar year as we uh, next week have Michael Imhoff, and then the next week we'll have a message on Thanksgiving, and then we'll begin our Advent season. So it's hard to believe we're winding down, but we're moving into that time of year, the wonderful season of Christmas and Thanksgiving. So um, we will set this aside and come back early in the year as we get back to First Peter. But today, what does submission look like in marriage? We've been talking about submission to those in authority over us. We talked about the workplace last week, two weeks. Uh, we had Greg Baker here, and then the week before, we talked about our role of obeying those in government. Today, it's the role of the wife submitting to her husband. Now, I want to say from the start, we can't cover all the ins and outs of submission. Uh, you'd have to do a, a pretty uh, big Bible study throughout the Bible to get that. Uh, there's a link on the PVBC Community Group Facebook page that would tell you uh, of a Focus on the Family article that would give you a lot more information if you want to do that. But we're going to hit some highlights just to introduce this and then talk specifically uh, what this passage is saying. What does the word submission as it pertains to marriage mean and look like in general from God's perspective? Well, we find diversity within unity. We see that in the Trinity, and then he applies it down to the marriage bond between a husband and a wife. We see diversity with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit working together in unity, but at times the Son submits to the Father when he's here on earth, and we could go through all of that. The Apostle Paul also compares marriage to the connection between Christ and the church. The relationship isn't of a master to a servant, it's of a lover and the beloved. And the union represented marriage may be one of the greatest miracles in all of creation. For in addition to everything else marriage means for a man and woman, it has deep spiritual significance, an eternal but also a cosmic significance, a significance here on planet Earth. The family is the building block, the foundation uh, for society from God's perspective. Now, subjection does not mean that the wife is inferior to the husband. In fact, in 1 Peter 3, 7, which is where we'll conclude our message today, Peter makes it clear that the husband and the wife are heirs together. The man and the woman are made by the same creator out of the same basic material, and both are made in God's image. It's interesting when you go back to Genesis 1.28, after he made Adam and Eve, God gave dominion for both of them over his creation. And Jesus Christ, Christian husbands and wives, men and women, are one, according to Galatians 3.28. So a wife submitting to her husband is not degrading. Jesus submitted to the will of his Father while on earth, and especially in going to the cross. Submission is the first step to a fulfilling relationship. Warren Wearsby says it this way, the headship is not dictatorship, but the loving exercise of divine authority under the lordship of Jesus Christ. The husband being the head of the family, and we'll talk about what that entails in just a moment. 
But when you look at Ephesians chapter 5 is where, where a lot of people point to, and it talks about in verses 22 through 25 there, of the wife submitting to the husband, many pastors leave out the verse that precedes all of that text. In Ephesians 5.21, it says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submission in the marriage must be mutual, like being on a team together. I get that sometimes the husband has to make the decision on some things or some issues. But as much as possible, the husband and the wife should make decisions together with consensus and compromise if possible. A husband is to be a servant leader and consider of those under his leadership, the kids, the wife. And he will answer to God for how he led his wife and his children spiritually, financially, and as a protector of his family. The husband must imitate the example of Christ set forth in 1 Peter 2, 21 through 25. So let's read this scripture together. You follow along as I read in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Verse 5, for this is how the holy woman who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. And may God add his blessing at the reading of his word this morning. Our first main point is this, the illustration of a submissive wife. Verses one and two, we just read those. The illustration of a submissive wife and a life lived in obedience to God before her husband. The first thing out of the gate that we need to do is to understand the context and the background of this passage of scripture. Peter's talking to wives who became believers in Christ and then had unbelieving husbands. Understand that as we go through these verses. And he spent six verses on this. Why does he do that? Because Peter knows what it's like for a wife to come to Christ in a Greco-Roman world. You see, back in that time, a woman had zero uh, respect or credibility in their eyes. Zero, not a none whatsoever. They were considered property in many ways. And so he wants to emphasize this thing about what to do when you come to Christ in this society. When a woman lived in her father's house at this time before marriage, she was subject to patria potesta, or the father's power. The father had the authority to determine the life or death of his children. That's hard for us to imagine now today in 2021. Husbands had similar authority over their wives in the Greco-Roman world. Wives were really servants, property of the husband. They were to stay home. They were to maintain the house and the property, give birth to children, and raise them up. If a wife came to faith in Christ and her husband was not a believer, it could bring abuse 
abuse into the home, into the relationship. So Peter's trying to instruct women in this situation, in this time in history, how to respond to her husband. So after she receives Christ, she could win him over to faith in her Savior. The Bible teaches that a believing wife is responsible to stay with her unbelieving husband. If the husband wants to stay in the relationship, even as an unbeliever, the wife is to stay committed to her vows. 1 Corinthians 7.13, Paul said this, If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. In Romans 7, Paul said, For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Unbelieving husbands who do stay married to their believing wives will receive blessings on their life as God grants blessings on the wife as she obeys the word of God as she builds her relationship with Christ. In 1 Corinthians 7.23, it says, For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Actually, that's 1 Corinthians 7.14. So submission is an opportunity for God to use it in leading a lost husband to Christ. Now, this doesn't mean that a, a, a wife who's following an unbelieving husband, if he asks her to do things that are unscriptural, unbiblical, or illegal, she is now free to not submit to him in those situations. There's a lot of discussion out there in evangelical circles among leaders as to what to do about women who are in abusive situations, or even men for that matter, when there's abuse in the relationship. And the person that's bringing the abuse is unwilling to repent from the physical or the uh, emotional or the sexual abuse. What do you do? They should separate, they should get counseling. They should do everything possible to work through the situation. But the offended spouse should make sure that she or he is in a safe place. And the tough question is, is that a reason to divorce biblically? And we won't endeavor to answer that here and now, but that's something that's been on the table in discussion. We see a life lived displaying respect for her husband. A life lived displaying respect for her husband. Notice the word at the beginning of verse 1 of this chapter, likewise. Likewise, as Christ was obedient to God's will in 1 Peter 2, 21 through 25. Submission, again, to remind ourselves, as we said in the past, is a military term where people willingly line up or subject themselves to that authority. That's what the Greek word means throughout chapter 2 and in these verses here in chapter 3. Now, this does not mean that a woman is in any way, as we stated in the introduction, inferior to man. I want to state that because in Galatians 3, Paul said this, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So just as within the Trinity, as we said earlier, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, there's diversity and unity because they had different roles, and each one plays a different role uh, to bring about uh, the purpose that God designed for it. And so it is for submission of the wife in marriage. Great book to read if you want some more information on 
uh, The Role of uh, Women in the Church, Equal Yet Different by Alexander Strzok. It really goes through in great detail and talks about this as far as what women's role in submission to those who are above her in the church. But example of this is the difference between a commanding officer and an infantryman. Think about it. They both have to go through basic training. They both have to do the physical training. They both have to learn what their roles are. And then as the infantryman moves up in his ranks, there are always going to be people under his authority. They all go through the same thing, but yet they choose to be under one another's authority. They have the different roles and different, but they're all part of the same military team. It says there in verse 1, thinking of your own husbands. Peter points to the intimacy that should be in the marriage and that she's only to be submissive to her husband, not to all men in general, unless they are an authority figure over her. Notice in verse 1, too, that Peter makes it clear that this wife had an unbelieving husband. If some do not obey the word. There's a great example from church history about a wife who is instrumental in bringing her son and her husband to Christ. One of the great examples of a godly wife and mother is Monica, the mother of the famous Saint Augustine. God used Monica's witness and prayers to win both her son and her husband to Christ. Though her husband was not converted until shortly before his death. Augustine wrote in his confessions, she served him as her Lord and did her diligence to win him unto thee, preaching thee unto him by her behavior, by which thou ornamentest her, making her reverently amiable unto her husband. Now, what is all that old English about? He said ornamentist. The idea was that Christ gave her the inner beauty and the ability through the Holy Spirit to radiate the character of Christ which brought her husband to faith in him. In the context of a home where the husband and wife are believers, the husband must be an example to his wife spiritually, setting and developing the spiritual tone of the house with the biblical decisions and the values. And then the wife should encourage and compliment the husband's spiritual emphasis in the home. The parents must teach their kids intentionally about manhood and womanhood in this day in time, something that my wife and I learned about through our journey with our oldest son. Some women are, are the breadwinner, and that's okay. Ultimately, a husband must be agreeable to it, and he's still responsible to make sure the material needs of the wife and kids are taken care of no matter how it's accomplished. The roles of a husband and wife need to be defined in marriage, and even before you're married. When I do premarital counseling, we spend a lot of time doing some tests, but talking about what are the roles going to be? And they're not the traditional roles anymore, you know? But the thing is, you have to sit down and discuss those things. My wife, she takes care of our finances. She does the laundry. She does the cooking. And I do a lot of the cleaning of the dishes and the cleaning of the house. I get the privilege of taking the garbage out, right, and taking it to the curb. I make sure the house and the cars are maintained. And uh, we've been very clear about that even before we were married, and it's worked well because we define who does what. So verse 2 speaks to that in 1 Peter 3. Peter emphasizes the behavior or conduct over words. A woman or any of us 
who talks to one another who's not a believer. We're not going to nag or preach someone into the kingdom. But a blameless life lived for Christ to the best of our ability in front of an unbeliever could be what the Holy Spirit will use to draw them to Christ. The believing wife can make the grace of God believable. Notice the words in verse 2, respectful and pure conduct. Respectful is showing honor to her husband and his role in the marriage relationship. Ephesians 5.22, it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So, wives, as you submit to your husband, you are actually doing what God wants, submitting to him as well. And pure conduct, he says there in verse 2, speaks to the wife's attempt to pursue holiness. And as the believing wife does, she becomes the praise of God, as we noted in 1 Peter 2.9, as she lives out the gospel. If the unbelieving spouse at home is to get saved most of the time, it's going to be a result of the behavior and the conduct of living for Christ in front of them that will draw them to the word of God and to the gospel for them to make their own personal decision for Christ. So the application here is a humble and submissive spirit is what God desires of all his followers. A humble and submissive spirit is what God desires for all of us as we think of this idea of submission. The next thing a believing wife's submission, submissive spirit does is that it reveals the godly character in her heart. The revealing of godly character as a submissive wife. Physical beauty is good. In 1 Peter 3.3, 3, <clears throat> this sounds like a negative thing, but he's saying here, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. And I want to make it clear that he is not saying in this verse, it's wrong for a woman to be stylish and to let her outward beauty be displayed. But he's saying that shouldn't be the priority. The inward beauty of Christ being revealed through a woman's character should be what defines the woman. Now, when Peter wrote this, women were devoting a lot of time uh, spending a lot of money in that Greco-Roman world buying cosmetics. They were dyeing their hair in bright and ornate colors. They were putting uh, gold and silver pieces in their hair as well as combs. They were putting on jewelry that went with their elegant clothing. It was a big deal. And it's not too different from today's culture and the emphasis in advertising. But God said in Jeremiah 2.32... Can a virgin forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. When you put that outward beauty in front of the important part of the inner character, the inner beauty, that is when it's wrong. It's not wrong for a woman to take the time to look nice and even be stylish in a modest way. But if that becomes the focus of them themselves or their husband, then it becomes an issue. I like what Warren Wearsby said, any husband is proud of a wife who's attractive, but that beauty must come from the heart, not the store, right? <laughs> Inner beauty, second of all under this, is better. Inner beauty is better. In 1 Peter 3, 4, he says, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which, is God, which in God's sight is very precious. Peter is saying here that the believing wife should be more focused on developing her inner character, reflecting Christ's example and attitude. 
You know, the outward part of our bodies are going to change. Beauty is going to fade away over time. But the inward beauty should be growing and building as life goes on. Notice the word imperishable. We see the word incorruptible in the King James Version. It means eternal. The eternal positive spirit that's Christ-like in our lives. He uses the word gentle here, a humble and a meek attitude expressed in the wife's patient submission to her husband. Quiet, someone who's still and tranquil, not a drama queen all the time. Someone who's precious, he says, in God's sight. These attitudes will enhance her outward beauty and make her even more attractive to her husband. Proverbs 25, 11 says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and setting of silver. Christ wants to reveal through her all that he has made her to be and to use her to bring her husband to Christ. If the wife is in a relationship with a believing husband, her inner beauty will enhance their intimacy in marriage and their walk together with the Lord. Our application is this in Proverbs 31.10. It says, a woman that possesses inner beauty is more precious than jewels. More precious than jewels. From the Proverbs 31 chapter, it talks about the virtuous woman. <clears throat> the next main point is this, the example of a holy and submissive wife. The example of a holy and submissive wife. The wife adorns herself with holiness by her submission to her husband. In 1 Peter 3, 5, For this is how the holy woman who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. Now in Old Testament days, many <clears throat> women exemplified principles of submission and modest godliness. We think of Ruth. We think of the Proverbs 31 virtuous woman. It says they adorned themselves by being submissive. The wife adorns herself with holiness by staying faithful to God. In verse 6, that's what he's describing here. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Called here with Sarah here means that she continually had an attitude of submission toward Abraham. It's in the present participle, so it's something that she continually carried forth for the many years that they were married. Now think about it. He had some real foibles in his life, didn't he? He lied twice about um, his wife being his sister, which in reality, half-sister, but half-truth there, so that he would not be in trouble with those in authority as he entered the land. We think about the whole mess with Hagar and Ishmael and all those things. So he wasn't a perfect man to follow, but yet she had patient obedience to him. So those women, it's saying in verse 6, who follow Sarah's example of submission and modesty, have in a sense become her children, following in her footsteps of submitting to their husbands. And it's hard to understand the last part of that verse where it talks about if you do good and do not fear anything, that is frightening. See, it's talking about making the commitment to do good even as a wife. You have serious fears of submitting to your unbelieving husband. You follow the vows you made at the altar of your marriage unless the unbelieving husband asks you to violate scripture or put you in an abusive or illegal situation. It can be fearful or frightening when we don't know as we get married, especially if we marry someone who's not a believer, where the road's going to lead us. 
but it's trusting in God and knowing he's going to be your protector as you go through life. The application here is a wife who is faithful to the Lord has a powerful impact on her family. A wife who is faithful to the Lord has a powerful impact on her family. Now Peter spends this one verse, as we finish today, on the husband, but it's filled with admonition for the husband. The submissive wife is honored by her husband. The submissive wife is honored by her husband. Look at verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. It appears here that now Peter is turning the tables and he's talking about a believing husband in this verse. He says, likewise, or in the same way, husbands have a responsibility to have an attitude of submission toward his wife, mutual respect, cooperation. He's to be a servant leader. It says in these verses that he must be understanding. He must be compassionate, considerable of his wife, sensitive to meet her deepest needs physically and emotionally. In verse 7, it says, live. Gives the picture of dwelling together in intimacy and cherishing his wife. Showing honor, courtesy, being polite, generous, protector, a gentleman. And then the weaker vessel. This does not speak to character or ability or her talents or intellect or spiritual giftedness. But that women are are weaker physically than men. This week I, I saw something that really shocked me over in Poland, they had an intersexual MMA fight. And I only watched a short clip of it because I couldn't take it anymore, but it was an MMA woman fighter against a man fighter. And that lasted maybe just a minute, and they had to break the whole thing up. Women are not as strong as men, and that's what he's pointing out here physically, from a physical sense, not character, not ability, not of the any things that we mentioned. And the husband is to treat his wife this way, whether she is a believer or not. The husband views his wife as a partner in God's grace. The husband must view his wife as a partner in God's grace. It's amazing the two married people can live together and not really know each other. Ignorance is a dangerous thing in any area of life, but it's especially dangerous in marriage especially as you uh, pour your life into your children and then you become empty nesters. And that's where divorce occurs many times because they don't know each other over the period of the time that they raised the kids. They didn't pour into their own relationship as husband and wife. It has been well said that love without truth is his hypocrisy and truth without love is brutality. We must speak the truth in love. That's the solution to communication problems. We need both truth and love if we're to grow in our understanding of one another. How can a husband show consideration for his wife if he doesn't understand her needs or her problems? When either spouse is afraid to be open and honest about a matter, then he or she begins to build walls and not bridges. And last under this point, the husband is pleasing God when he treats his wife with respect. It says there in verse 7, since there are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Heirs with you of the grace of life. This is a picture of true and intimate friendship who are possessors of one of God's greatest gifts, marriage. 
This is to people who are in love and like each other as well. The idea of intimacy in marriage was a foreign concept when Peter was writing this. Husbands were not interested in being friends with their wife. It was all about what the wife could do for him. But Peter is saying that one possessed by the Spirit of God should be countercultural by honoring his wife, cherishing her, and being a companion with her. I like this quote. Somebody asked Mrs. Albert Einstein if she understood Dr. Einstein's theory of relativity, and she replied, no, but I understand the doctor. <laughs> she knew his character. She knew his likes and his dislikes. He had, she had a relationship with that famous... Uh, a famous scientist and mathematician. A husband can disagree with his wife and still respect and honor her. And as a spiritual leader in the home, the husband must sometimes make decisions that are not popular, but he can still act with courtesy and respect. Giving honor means that the husband respects his wife's feelings, what she's thinking about, and her desires. Often God balances a marriage so that the husband needs what the wife has in her personality. And she likewise needs his good qualities. An impulsive husband has a patient wife, and this helps to keep him out of trouble. The reward for doing that, Peter says that God will bless the husband by answering his prayers. If he doesn't follow the teaching in this verse, it says his prayers will be hindered from being answered. It's as simple as that. So praying together as a couple is important, builds intimacy shares what's on each other's hearts. It brings unity, and you get to see God answer prayer together as a husband and a wife. So the application is this. A husband must journey with his wife by honoring and respecting how God created her. A husband must journey with his wife by honoring and respecting how God created her. Our key thought as we close today, a wife who submits to her husband is a picture of the unity and love that exists in the Trinity. That's ultimately what it's about, <clears throat> is being an example of Christ to those around us. And so as we close today, I encourage you to think about your marriage, or those of you who are young people or single in this room, to be asking God to make you this kind of person so that God will bring upon you the right person as you get married to have the right relationship that's based and found in his word. Let's bow for prayer. As we pray today, I encourage you as husbands and wives here today to think about what Peter said in these verses. I know that he was talking to a wife who had an unbelieving husband, but there's many, many things that we can apply to our lives and as husbands, in verse 7, to understand that we are partnering and journeying together with our spouse, the heirs of this great life that we have. And maybe today you just pause and say, Lord, I just want to dedicate my marriage again to you. And realize it's something that we have to work at and build into. And that maybe we've gotten so busy with the activities of our family that we've forgotten to take time to reflect on that and to build the inner beauty of Christ in one another. Father, I pray that you help us to build strong marriages, strong families that are biblical, that are the way you designed them to be. Lord, there's so many attempted alternatives and redesigning of the family out in our culture today. 
And Lord, you've given us some very specific instructions here this morning in this passage in 1 Peter 3 of what a godly relationship should look like. Help us today to rededicate ourselves to these things. And for those that are younger, those who are here that are not married, we pray you help them to instill these values into their lives so they will be the kind of person you want them to be when you bring the person that's God's will into their lives and prepare them as well. We pray and ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.